All right. I am Ben Burgess, and this is the Give Me an Argument call-in show, the call-in branch of the Give Them an Argument multimedia empire. I am broadcasting to you now live from uh, my friend Jason's porch in uh, Rosarita, Mexico. Uh, We just got in here a few minutes ago. Um, And so it's been kind of a long day, and I want to do... I want to go to uh, wander over to the beach. Uh, it's you know not you know it's like eight thirty um, local time, uh, and you know probably get you know get some tacos, get a drink. So uh, not going to be a long episode today. Probably are going to cut it pretty close to half an hour. Uh, so if you do want to call in to talk about any of this stuff, uh, get in the queue early, and I will uh, I'll make sure I, I get you in uh, before uh, before it's time to go. All right. So, uh, I've been writing a bunch of stuff for Jacobin lately about student loan forgiveness. Uh, not for the first time. I did, uh, like, earlier this summer, like a couple months ago, uh, I wrote something um, called, uh, I think it was, uh, Don't Cancel $10,000 of Student Loan Debt, Cancel Every Penny. Uh, and a long time ago, like 2020, I think, I wrote an article for them called It's Not That Complicated, Canceling uh, Student Loan Debt is Good. Uh, obviously, my position hasn't changed, so I uh, put out two pieces about it this week since it actually happened. The first one, um, you know, went up like right after it happened, uh, you know, a few days ago, Uh it, you know, yeah, it was on Wednesday, so it was the day that it happened, so a lot of it was written when it was just kind of hypothetical, and I was like, okay, we're going to go back in and make it clear this has actually happened, um, and then on Friday, no, Saturday, I um, have an article out in, uh, in Jacobin, yeah, it came out yesterday, uh, co-written with Bronco Markatic, uh, which is called uh, Student Loan Debt Forgiveness Was Never Supposed to Happen. I believe. Uh, the one on Wednesday was, uh, what was that called? It was, uh, oh yeah, it was uh, Biden is canceling $10,000 of student loan debt for some borrowers. That's not good enough. Uh, I will say that uh, normally I don't, uh, I don't air my dirty laundry about, uh, you know, about headlines that I would not have chosen for myself because, you know, I, um, you know, Jacobin's not just a place that I publish. I mean, it's kind of my political home, and uh, and uh, it is edited by people I consider friends as well as comrades. But I will say in this case, I will complain just a little bit and say that I I believe the proposed headline, and, you know, I, I understand. I think, well, people who know how this stuff works know that all writers don't generally get to pick headlines. At Jacobin, they at least always let me, like, suggest one. And, you know, they take it about half the time, so it's fine. I don't mind when they don't, but... Uh, in this case, the one I suggested was almost what they went through with, but like what I actually said was um, canceling $10,000 student loan debt. That's good, but not good enough. And just for emphasis, I kind of wish they had run with the good, but not good enough, cause, um, because I think it is worth saying that this is actually, a, you know, this is a very good thing, right? There are millions of people for whom... This is going to, I know people who this is going to wipe out the entirety of their student loan debt. Um, other people, you know, I, I won't name publicly, but, you know, like who uh, have, uh, for whom this is enough to bring it down to a sum that like it doesn't, it doesn't get rid of all or even most of it, but at least brings it down to a point where it's like, okay, this is a more realistic money amount of money I could imagine ever being able to pay off. Um so that's really good. On the other hand, for a lot of borrowers, this is a fraction of what they owe, right? So the grimmest statistic that I mentioned in that article on, on Wednesday, people have probably seen it, it's been going around, is uh, depending on which calculation you're looking at, the average uh, black student loan borrower owes either 52000 or $53,000, which is a, you know, at least twice what the average white borrower owes. And, you know, the reason that's worth bringing up, uh, even though I think, you know, using racial statistics is kind of a stand-in for, um, 
for like indicators of like how things are played out depending on the level of advantage you come from is always a pretty blunt instrument. Obviously, there are you know upper middle class and even wealthy black people and you know uh, many many dirt poor white people, but um, but I think it's a I think it's a suggestive illustration of the problem, right? That for a lot of the borrowers uh, who uh, who come from relatively disadvantaged backgrounds, maybe not disadvantaged enough, you know, to get Pell Grants, but, like, still, like, you know, trending lower income among relative to the category of student loan borrowers, this is just a fraction of what they owe. And, in fact, to, you know, stick with the racial stats for a second, I mean, uh, you know, black student loan borrowers are also more likely to not even have a degree even though they're, you know, piled with, you know, with debt, which, for all kinds of obvious reasons, you know, that I think anybody with a little bit of imagination and empathy, even if they don't come from the same circumstances, should be able to take 30 seconds and think about it and come up with, like, a lot of different ways that, you know, people who grow up in poverty, um, which, again, obviously not a universal experience, but, you know, black Americans are, you know, due to the legacy of Jim Crow long-term economically, um, you know, more likely disproportionately, right, come from lower-income circumstances, and, you know, it, it should take you about 30 seconds to come up with any number of ways that coming from lower-income circumstances would, in fact, make you more likely to have stuff come up in your life such that you didn't get through college, even though you were in it for years and you had to borrow a lot of money. So, you know, I think both are important, the good and the not good enough. Um, so what the sort of point of the article when it first happened on Wednesday was really to stress the not good enough, right? You know, sort of hold the Jacobin line about, like, no, what we should be pushing for instead of just saying, like, rested on this, right, is 100% forgiveness, every single goddamn penny. Um, and then the point of um, an article that actually hasn't come out yet, I think maybe tomorrow, pro- yeah, probably tomorrow, uh, it's probably going to come out tomorrow. I'm not sure what it's going to be called yet. Uh, but uh, is is really emphasizing the good part, right? Uh, that, you know, the good but, right? The Wednesday article was the uh, the not good enough uh, emphasis. Uh, the uh, And the article Monday is really emphasizing the, you know, the good but part, right? So in other words, that this is a tremendously positive thing to do. Um on just about every level. Again, it's insufficient, but it's really good. Um, and, you know, and I, I think we should take our wins, you know, uh, where we can find them, right? The left loses enough without, you know, turning up our noses at genuine wins. I felt the same way about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Um, so let's, uh, let's dig into this a little bit, right? Both the good part and the not good enough. And then before I take, you know, if there are any calls, I'll take them at that point. But uh, then after the, uh, the not good enough, I'll talk a little bit about the article that I co-wrote with Bronco that, uh, that came out yesterday. Okay, so, um, so the not good enough point is really, really simple, um, which is that the point of principle here is that nobody should owe a penny of student debt because student debt is not a concept that should have any extension, right? Or to translate that from analytic philosophy speak to normal speak, right? Like, this is just a combination of words that shouldn't refer to anything, right? It's a, the, the concept of student debt is an obscenity. And so there's an analogy that I, I sort of briefly mentioned at the end of the article on Wednesday and that the article that I think is coming out tomorrow, I delve into in much greater length, which is just imagine that public high schools started charging tuition, like significant tuition. Um, I mean, imagine they started, how angry you'd be if they started charging tuition at all, but then imagine it's such enormous tuition that uh, unless, you know, you figured something out or you had enough financial aid or, you know, your parents just happened to have the money or whatever, most likely you were going to have to go into debt to pay to go to high school, like public high school. Um, or, you know, to bring the analogy closer to uh, the original case, you know, about college student debt, uh, imagine that they just started charging uh, tuition for senior year of high school. That way, um, 
people would start paying it or, you know, getting their student loans when they're 17, which is the age that an awful lot of um, young people are when they sign the dotted line for their college student loans. They're 17 when they do that. Um, like, obviously, this, this sounds dystopian, right? They're like, just, just horrendous and evil that they would, like, that uh, people would shake you down for a payment for trying to complete your high school education. Um, that, like, that's, a, that's, that's just a grim, awful policy, uh, that if that ever happened. Uh, and I think the same thing is true for college. I don't think there's a point of, I don't think that there's a difference on the point of principle. I don't think there's something magic that happens between your senior year of high school, right, during that summer between your senior year of high school and your freshman year of college, you know, there's, there's no magical turning point where suddenly that, that principle disappears, that, like, education is a basic human good that everybody should have a right to just by virtue of being a person who's part of a society, the same way that you have a right to, uh, to like, have the fire department come to your house to put it out if it's on fire, you know, the same way that you have a right uh, to, um, uh, to you know, police protection if somebody's, you know, if, if you... Uh, if you're, you know, if you're being attacked and you can call 911, right? The same way that you have a right um, to, uh, you know, the same way that you have a right to drive down, you know, public roads, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, that, like, if education is like that, and I think it is, and I think, honestly, almost everybody thinks it is. Um, I'll go back to that almost in a second, right? Uh, well, if it is, then I don't, understand what the claim is in principle that that shouldn't apply to college right again what changes you know is is, you know like what is this magical transformation that takes place you know in like august right after you've you know been celebrating graduate from high school a couple months when uh when you know that's no longer that's no longer the kind of thing that any half decent society would provide as a universal public good and collectively foot the bill for the way we do for k-12 uh, and and I think this was really the place to fight this on, right? Because uh, what Biden, the way Biden did it, um, saying, "Well, we'll forgive," I mean, twenty thousand for Pell Grant recipients, but you know, ten thousand uh, for for everybody else, uh, except not even everybody else, because not only is it the first ten thousand, like if like the average black borrower, you owe fifty two or fifty three thousand, um, you know. You're still on your own for forty-two or forty-three thousand of that. You know, you're only uh, you're only getting the government help for uh, the first ten thousand, and even that is uh, capped, right? That the is uh, means tested, right? It only applies to people who are under this uh, specific income threshold, hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year. Oh, and by the way, uh, only undergraduate <laughs> loans need apply, which is pretty bad too, because uh, this is um, like. I mean, even in need-based terms, it's pretty bad because uh, plenty of working-class people have uh, go to at least some graduate school. I know that that claim sound, is going to sound silly to a lot of people's ears, but that's because you haven't thought about it, right? 18% of nurses have master's degrees. The majority of K-12 you know, public school teachers have master's degrees, and many more at least start them, even if they never finish them. Uh, so there are tons of uh, of working class people uh, who do not have you know lavish incomes uh, who have some graduate education. Uh, but the problem I was saying earlier with the way that Biden is doing this, right, saying that uh, well it's only the first ten thousand and it only applies if you know if your income is below a certain threshold, is that that shifts the terrain of the debate to the wrong place. It shifts the terrain of the debate uh, to from this very clear, very simple point of principle that's like, no, nobody should have to go into debt to pay for college. What an obscenity, right? What a dystopian policy. Um, obviously, any half-decent society would collectively foot the bill for education because that's a basic public good. It shifts the terrain of the debate from that extremely winnable argument to, well, we're just helping the people who most need it which is terrain on which, you know, I mean, this is the shit that conservatives thrive on, right? 
and I'm not, I don't want to be too pessimistic about this. Right now, there's actually a pretty significant majority of the polls that's in favor of, you know, at least some student debt forgiveness, at least for some people. But, um, but once you're arguing about who most needs the help, uh, then uh, I think that's a very bad argument, like both in general, right? Because that's, that's an anti-solidaristic kind of way to approach it and one that favors the right wing, I think, kind of intrinsically. And it's also a bad way to approach it on this because then you really open yourself up to, well, hold on, most, you know, uh, most people don't have four-year degrees. Um, in fact, the majority of Americans don't have any kind of college degree, right? Only about 40% of uh, American adults over 25 have at least an associate's degree or higher, right? Two-year community college degree even. Uh, and it's obviously lower for four-year degrees. And obviously, in the society that we have right now, um, that tilts higher income. Again, tilts the majority of people who take out, you know, of, of people who go to college, and certainly the majority of people who take out student loan um, are not in anything like the top one, five, ten, twenty, or even thirty percent of income earners. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, if we're just talking about statistical trends, like, you're more likely to come from a, at least comparatively better off background if you go to college, right? Because you're more likely to have parents who went to college, which alone is a huge factor. Um, you know, you're more likely to, uh, you know, like, you're... Uh, you're more likely to to like know how to navigate like in the financial aid bureaucracy if you need financial aid or to not need financial aid in the first place, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so there's this there's this argument, of course, that's like, oh, this is like helping out people who are uh, who are better off who don't really need the help, right? Why are we helping off these people? Why aren't we, you know, what was that stupid fucking tweet from uh, some Republican congressman? It's like, why should the machinist? in Ohio be, uh, be paying the student loans of a uh, unemployed philosophy major <laughs> or uh, the way that Ted Cruz did in his uh, was, I'm sorry, I didn't use his full name, uh, the way that the utterly loathsome Ted Cruz did in his uh, was, uh, he said, well, you know, why should, you know, why should ordinary people have to help out the slacker barista, right, for their useless degree? Um, and, like, they love these arguments, right? It's like, now, of course... None of these motherfuckers want to do anything to help out the machinists in Ohio, right? It's not like, oh, they, I mean, even pretending that that pain for language was accurate, which is absolutely not, right? Um, as Freddie DeBoer points out, uh, you know, post I saw from him about this, uh, like on Facebook, he put it really well. He was like, look, a huge percentage of student loan debt is going to get forgiven one way or the other. The only question is whether it's forgiven after the people holding it die or whether you're going to give them a break and forgive it while they're alive because so much of that is not getting paid back, right? Um, you know, at least a very significant percentage of it is not going to be paid back, right? You know, it's a, um, you know, so what you're talking about is not continuing to shake people down for, for debt payments, which is a different thing from like, transferring the money. I think that's a distinction that's worth making, right? Like, I know people have all these arguments that's effectively the same thing. No, it's not. It's not at all the same thing. Okay. Um, and so, of course, you know, Republicans who like to use these talking points, uh, and, you know, by the way, of course, none of these people is, would last a day as a barista. That's actually a really hard job. Uh, you know, it's hot. You're, you know, constantly scrambling around to deal with annoying customers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, trying to, like, fill 10 orders at once. Um, but none of these people who talk like that want to do anything to help out other more deserving groups, right? It's not like, oh, they don't want to... Let's pretend we're just making direct payments right to people who have student loans. It's not at all what we're talking about. But even if we were, it's not like, oh, they don't want to do that because they want to spend the money on uh, single mothers. No, they don't, right? They don't want to spend the money on single mothers, you know, uh, they don't want to spend the money on enhancing unemployment benefits. They don't want to do any of that stuff, right? They're just using this as a as a prop to beat it with. But I still think it's a mistake to uh, I think still think it's a mistake to concede the ground on which the debate is is uh, taking place, and to say, well, we're only helping the most deserving people because then you get into this big stupid anti-solidaristic argument about which people are the most deserving. And I think that's just a 
bad scene. That's just bad news. That is not the ground on which you should conduct the argument. Uh, and, you know, so that's even a matter of political pragmatism. Another point about political pragmatism is that some of the groups that people, again, go back to the racial stats, some of the groups that Biden most needs to come out and vote for Democrats, uh, you know, people are going to be a lot less enthusiastic and inspired to vote for you because you forgave less than a fifth of their student debt than if you just forgave the whole thing. And again, as a point of principle, like student debt should not exist, so every penny should be canceled. Um, okay, I've got a, there's a call in the queue from Silver, um, good, uh, you know, regular uh, viewer and listener of this in the YouTube show. Uh, so I'm going to take uh, GTA patron, therefore one of the best people on the planet. Uh, so I'm going to take Silver's call in just a moment. But first, I just want to say two other things about what I was talking about, right? So the first um, is, uh, is I think, on this question, right, of, like, regressiveness or, you know, is it a, you know, is it a, uh, you know, is it, like, helping out people who don't need help as much as other groups? I think even despite everything I've said, I still think it could feel that way. I mean, it's frustrating because, like, part of the reason why... <laughs> Uh, college tilts higher incomes that we charge people tuition. You know, that wouldn't be the case uh, if we didn't, I don't think, but, uh, or at least certainly not nearly as much. But then, like, the other thing, uh, you know, the sort of bigger point about that is, uh, yeah, right, it is in fact true that, um, like, there is something a little bit unfair about only forgiving student debt and not other kinds of debt that like distribute differently across the population, right? But of course we can and should do both. So the big point I push in the article that's coming out tomorrow is, look, this is far from the only case where we have a kind of debt that we're, you know, continuing to shake people down for that shouldn't exist in the first place. An obvious case, the obvious starting point in terms of expanded loan forgiveness beyond student debt would be medical debt, Right. Because again, medical debt, that's just a combination of words that nobody should have ever uttered. It's it, outside of the context of like dialogue in a dystopian science fiction novel. The concept of medical debt is obscene. Nobody should be, you know, like medicine is the kind of basic human good that any halfway decent society would collectively foot the bill for and provide outside of the market as a right. And so there shouldn't be such a thing as a copay. Uh, there shouldn't be such a thing as a premium, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And um, there certainly shouldn't be such a thing as like a $5,000 bill for like a medical emergency that happened when the uh, nearest hospital was out of network for your insurance uh, or because you didn't have insurance in the first place. And medical debt is um, incredibly widespread, right? Actually much more so than, uh, than student loan debt. Uh, it's incredibly common for people to owe at least some debt for medical or dental uh, services. And again, it shouldn't exist. And I understand, right, that um, going forward, right, like if you just do the thing you can do at a presidential level, just just, uh, just forgiving the debt, more debt will be accumulated because you haven't sort of solved the source of the problem. But like a hypothetical, much, much better version of Biden could just say, yeah, I now agree with Bernie Sanders. These things, nobody should be charged at the point of service for these things. I'm going to urge Congress to uh, make public college tuition free. I'm going to urge Congress to uh, to uh, uh, to uh, enact Medicare for all. But meantime, at least in the student debt case, the you know, medical debt that might have to be done legislatively, right? But like in the meantime, what unjust debt? Right for these things that nobody should ever have to go into debt for because nobody should ever have to pay for at the point of service. Um, what debt I can just eliminate with a stroke of a pen, I'm damn well going to do that as a step in the right direction. Uh, oh, The last point I wanted to make was about the article with Bronco and the sort of history, like the recent history of the politics of student debt forgiveness, but I'm actually going to hold off on that until I talk to Silver. So, Silver, what's on your mind? Hello. Um, can you hear me? I can't hear you. I uh, guess I can. I muted myself while I was taking a sip of tea while you were talking, but I can't hear you. Oh, okay. So, <clears throat> does this? Uh, you said uh, ten thousand dollars. 
Does that even cover the interest on what most people owe? Yeah, I don't know about Never I don't know about like, most people, right? There are certainly plenty of people for whom it doesn't, right? Um, and I mean, again, average black borrower owes fifty two or fifty three thousand uh, dollars at this point. Like, so uh, there are, I believe, the numbers I, I think I saw. If I'm remembering this correctly, there are about a third of borrowers for whom ten thousand dollars will wipe out the whole thing, which is which is big, right? Like, I don't think we should underplay that. But also, clearly, there's the other two-thirds of borrowers for whom that will not wipe out the whole thing. And, uh, and quite a few of those people get, I don't know about most, but certainly like a large percentage of those people owe just hilariously and tragically more than that. Okay. I was just listening to Noam Chomsky on our Jacobin podcast. Yep. And I have an idea what he might say here. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Which is that uh, forgiving student loan debt would be too much like making education public, and making uh-huh. education public would mean uh-huh. it's not under private control of business, and they really don't want. It. Yeah, no, right. I, I think that's right. Right. I mean, I think if you say if you didn't say like it's bad enough, you know, for from an establishment perspective, like even what Biden's doing is like a huge step in what they would see as the wrong and we would see as the right direction. Um, and something that was really unexpected until relatively recently, I want to get into that uh, in a second, talk about the piece with Bronco. But yeah, I mean, I, right. I think, I think hypothetically Chomsky and definitely you are right about that. Absolutely, right? That like if Biden had just done what we want and just been like every single penny of this is canceled because student debt is not a thing that should exist uh, precisely because that we could see the big point of principle that like, this is not something that should be part of the market. This is something that should just be provided as a universal social right. Like that is a, you know, that's a big expansion. Yeah. Yeah. What are you saying? Plus it might confuse people. And uh, I was going to say it might confuse people into thinking that the government can do something good and that's against the party line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although it is funny. I mean, I saw Nathan Robinson post on Twitter this, this like, diagram of Biden's approval rating, which is, like, you know, January 2021 is, like, 57%, and it just goes down and down and down and down and down. Like, sometimes it'll, like, and, you know, and then, like, until just now when it, like, ticks back up a little bit, right? It's, it's back up to, like, 44% or something, which is, like, he was, like, yeah, it's weird. It turns out that when you when you do things to concretely help people's lives um you know is that, like you is that john bachelon in the queue if that's john bachelon then i am way out of here. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah i believe that is john bachelon much better to say well i don't know about that but i really do appreciate the call real quick before we take me and gene um i did just want to say on the article with bronco uh the point we were making there is we were looking back at this old uh, john oliver clip that went by viral back in 2016 where Oliver is making fun of the Green Party candidate Jill Stein for saying that the president could unilaterally cancel student debt which he was comparing to say that the president could order the post office to invade Canada or that um, like if Joe Exotic ever became president that he would like try to print money so he could have financed a giant tiger orgy on, uh, on the lawn of the Capitol. Oh no, what happened to Gene? Gene... Come back. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, part of this is just a how far we've come point, right? That, like, this is amazing that that was where liberals were at in 2016, that this was just the most unthinkable, you know, rainbows and pony leftist utopian nonsense in 2016. When, remember, not even Bernie ran on saying he'd do this. To now, you know, when, when the, the window of political possibility has actually shifted to the point that, like, what Jill Stein was advocating in 2016 has been to a partial and needlessly conservative way, but has been partially implemented, which is fucking amazing, right? Uh, and, you know, I think it's a sign of how... I, th- I think it's worth thinking about the way that the left can actually sometimes win or at least score significant partial victories in these battles um, about what's, you know, what's plausible, what's possible. 
Um, ah, man, we lost Gene again. I wonder if he, uh, I wonder if his connection is bad. Uh, if he, uh, if he just dropped out, I was really looking forward to talking to him. But, um, but in any case, I think it's a, I think it's a point worth making again. Like we lose so much, right? I mean, that's kind of what it is to, uh, to be a leftist, but like most of the time you lose. Cause like, you know, what it is to be a leftist as opposed to a liberal is to think that like, it's not just that like some bad people are in charge or we need to adjust the, you know, the demographics of the ruling class, make it more, more diverse or that we just need to raise everybody's awareness. But instead they're like these deep structural flaws to the society that we live in, that we need to take kind of fundamental action, uh, to, um, uh, to alter. Uh, and, uh, and this is, um, and if you think that, yeah, most of the time you're going to lose because if you think that we need deep fundamental systemic change, right? Uh, or even, I mean, like that makes it sound like I'm talking about workers control the means of production, but like even sort of, you know, big social democratic steps, like, you know, abolishing student debt, right? You know, most of the time you're going to lose, Right, because like definitionally, if that's your perspective, you're going to be arrayed against the most powerful forces in your society, and especially if you're like the American left right now, where you know you're there's like a there's like a 94 percent disorganized working class. There's no labor or socialist party separate from the Democrats, or even the equivalent of within the Democrats, really. Right? Uh, the I saw. Um, I saw, uh, who was it? Somebody in Jacobin said, like, at the current rate of growth, it would take until 2091 for the squad to be the majority of Congress, right? So under these conditions, you're going to lose a lot. And I think it's worth maintaining some perspective. Um, even when they're frustratingly partial, I think you've got to savor the wins when they come. But, uh, Gene, it's on your mind, man. Hello, can you hear me? I can. How are you doing? You're in a very echoey room. I I, I can hear. Oh yeah, I'm actually sitting. Uh, I'm actually sitting out on uh, Jason Miles' patio in uh, Rosarito. Living the dream, as it were. Yeah. You know, yeah. enjoying the end of student debts for some people, <laughs> and uh, enjoying the Baja California air. So. Uh, I just wanted to, uh, I was, I'm out walking the dog in the middle of Springfield, walking around the campus, reviewing the students. And, um, yeah, I just uh, felt like I would call in because I think, you know, this is a positive development with the uh, student loans. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Um, uh, although it does, it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a start, not a finish. Yep. And, like you say, we should take the win, but um, you know, obviously, this was not possible without organizing and pressure. The Biden people didn't, uh, you know, didn't do this out of the goodness of their heart. Considering that Joe, ba- uh, Joe Biden has a reputation as being an individual who has had close relations with the credit card industry, and you yes. know, was involved in the bankruptcy bill. So this is, to a certain degree, a result yeah, of I mean, that, crime. Th- that last one is really worth highlighting, that it's like he, uh, he spent, um, like, one of his most significant legislative accomplishments as, a, uh, as president was making it harder to have people get their loans written off, right? So this is not, uh, this is not his natural position, to put it mildly, right? This is, this is a side of the way that the political landscape has in some ways, as strange as it is to say, shifted for the better. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there are, you know, all these things are overdetermined. I think the pressure is is pivotal and foundational because it put this issue on the political agenda. Of course, I think there's a bit of opportunism amongst the Democratic Party. I think they, they're not entirely stupid. So sure. they realize that they are losing support from you know, those educated individuals and millennials who are not enthusiastic about Joe Biden's presidency. So this is, you know, a, a, a pretty weak bribe to get people to turn out uh, as well. But, you know, the, on the first level, 
we wouldn't have even got this bribe if people hadn't organized to deal with this. But I do wonder where we go from here, because, of course, there's going to be a lot of uh, political pushback on this. And, you know, people will be whining about, you know, morality hazards and so on and so forth and, you know, all this kind of nonsense. But, I, you know, one of the things that I've... Uh, wondered about, and I'm not super familiar uh, yeah. with the with the uh, with the issue in the United States. Um, one of the major problems is the interest. You know, it strikes me that you could get quite a lot of buy-in. You know, canceling people's interest on what they paid. Uh, you know, um, you know, yeah. the, the interest rates are extremely high. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it's actually, I think is an easier political sell to just cancel people's, uh, interest, the interest yeah, that I mean, is accrued on I the student debt. Uh, yeah. I mean, if they're not going to just wipe out the whole thing like they should, and by the way, I love that moral hazard argument. Cause it's like, yeah, man, wouldn't that be terrible if people thought that it was going to be okay, that they were going to get an education and they wouldn't have to be saddled by debt, right? You know, it's like that would be a terrible outcome, right? You know, more people more people pursuing education. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that, um, and obviously, you know, I, I think that's an easier argument for us on the left to make actually than it is for Biden because we don't, we think, as, you know, we think public college should be tuition free in the first place. But um, but yeah, I think if if Biden's not going to just forgive it all like he should, uh, I think at least at least canceling all interest would be a great next step. Um, and again, I mean, I, I I think this might have been before you you uh, you came into the conversation, but like I think that um, like I don't you know I think that there are um, places to go that would be really good because they would make, you know, at least as a legislative proposal, right? Like maybe you can't make it happen because like, you know, maybe like the mechanisms that allow president to do this for student debt wouldn't apply here, et cetera, et cetera. But like, at least as a, uh, as a legislative proposal, right. To say, look, I agree. We shouldn't only be helping out the, um, you know, college educated people. Uh, we should be helping out everybody. And so like the, you know, should say, you know, you know what else we should cancel? Everybody's, uh, everybody gets medical debt. Yeah, I mean, the moral hazard argument is quite funny. I was discussing with uh, some small business people who are conservatively orientated here in Springfield, who I know quite well, and they were going on about, you know, the moral hazard. And I pointed out the PPE stuff, and they were like, well, you know, the PPE, the government shut us down, and we had to we had to conform uh, to, to the government regulations, so they should have given us you know, the money. But my point was, uh-huh. it's like, well, that's true. I agree, but they gave sure. you it as a loan, and so yeah, exactly. It, so the, the the point is the point isn't that you really deserve the money. The point is that you took it as a loan, and you had to. So you know it, it comes down to it comes down to some uh, you know like people do the mental just gymnastics to. I think Weber says something. You know people like to. Uh, believe that their success is the result of their moral superiority and good choices. And when you come down to it, it's very, you know, they can't actually outline who's made a good choice and who's made a bad choice because it's just an abstract discussion. But there is one other aspect to the student loans question, which I would like to get your thoughts on is, Uh, you know, ultimately student loans uh, are one of the reasons why we see inflation of uh, university costs. And, yep. you know, you know, we saw this, we've seen, everybody knows how this worked with house prices. Once there was cheap credit out there, house prices went through the roof. And of course, with these student loans, universities have gone through, uh, you know, university costs have gone through the uh, roof, roof. And much of that money is being poured into all kinds of a complicated administration. Uh, I mean, there's a good book called The Fall of the Faculty, which, uh, um, you know, which details like th- this kind of growth. And we have this huge growth in deans and deanlets and deanlings and all these people uh, doing yeah. all kinds of, kinds of uh, you know, this kind of arbitrage we see in the U.S. healthcare system as well. Uh, you know, there's like 20 diversity deans. And it's like, you know, you could just put that money into a scholarship for poor kids from St. Louis, and that's probably going to help more uh, people of color than just, you know, bribing 
some Ivy League educated uh, uh, gentleman or gentle lady. Uh, but, you know, we have a structural problem in the education system, which, you know, the student loan pr uh, crisis is part of. And really, there needs to be an assault on, you know, various tendencies within academia, which is, which is, you know, basically sees a lot of this money just being siphoned off to all kinds of shenanigans. Because, you know, one thing I noticed about university facilities in the United States is that, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you're not selling an education, you're selling an experience. And it becomes about, yeah. you know, how, how many, you know, Olympic sized swimming pools, you know, I'm, totally down with an Olympic size. Yeah, swimming but pool. you could also, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, look, I think you could keep the pool and, uh, and still, uh, you know, and, and fire like about 75% of administrators uh, and, uh, you know, you'd be okay. But yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. Right. Um, I would, you know, I mean, I know you're half joking, but I would pass, you know, I would just say like on the bribery thing that like, people who are like really seriously throwing around that word. I think it's kind of amazing that like they've accepted a view of the world where like uh, the government doing things to materially help uh, the lives of its citizens is like, is like shady, right? You know, that's yeah, like, they, hey, I uh, mean, exactly. It's like, they should, it's like, you know, that's actually perfect liberal brand, really. You know, it's like the adults in the room where it's like, we will do something because we ideologically believe it, even if it's bad politics, because we're somehow averse to, you know, doing something that helps poor and working people. And of course, they have all kinds of justifications, uh, you know, based on, you know, a utilitarian rationality about why they have to dump money into banks. But when it comes to uh, dumping money into like wiping out people's students' loans, those utilitarian arguments, which are extremely strong in that case, are nowhere to be seen. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, I I think, uh, I, I guess I actually do want to just say uh, quickly on the point you make about PPP that like, um, that it's, it's a really amazing argument, right? Because like, yeah, as you say, um, they were given the money as a loan and then it was forgiven. So their argument is, yeah, but that's okay because it shouldn't have been given as a loan. They should have just given us the money, right? And it's like, exactly. okay, but like, that's what we think about college, right? You know that the uh, that the government, you know, exactly. that, like it should it should be tuition free. Like it should nobody should have had to take out a loan in the first place. So like, we're not actually disagreeing about the you know morality no, of paying back loans. Yeah, we're, exactly. We're disagreeing it, it, about about whether like somebody's you know expectation that they should be able to go to college and you know at at the very least have that like value in their life of uh, higher education and maybe have like the kind of career path that you need to go to college to go to that like what you're really saying is that expectation is less reasonable than your expectation that you should uh, that your business shouldn't suffer during an unprecedented medical emergency exactly because you know the argument they always put forward is like well some students work hard and some students work, work, don't work hard i have a very good friend uh, here in Springfield who works for, he's like, he's, he does a special type of banking, you know, very like high, high end type of banking, uh, that has to have all kinds of federal accreditation, lots of things to do, you know, like this, this like very sophisticated stuff. And he was heavily involved with PPE. And his point was, it's like, you know, PPE didn't differentiate between the businesses that were doing well and the businesses yep. that, that, that were doing badly. You know, if you had a restaurant that was about to go tits up, PPE probably saved you for a year and a half, right? So, yep. you know, like there's all kinds. So the, the, the morality argument, as you say, it doesn't, it doesn't hold water. We can argue that there are certain things that, you know, people get into debt in and, you know, that's personal sure. responsibility. But things, sure. like things like education... You know, and, and, you know, I know people get averse to on the left to talk about personal responsibility, but, you know, as a personal no, I, I, virtue, virtue, it's a good thing. It's just don't run your society uh, according to, you know, that metric, uh, because who, who decides who is personally responsible, right? No, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on, on both halves of that, right? I think that the, uh, I think it's a mistake to talk about personal responsibility, like, is it, is it a thing? Uh, I think that there's a lot of sort of... Um, you know, like like a lot of leftists um, are like 
utilitarians and, and like free will skeptics because like that's what like feels to them like a sort of natural extension of their political impulses. But I actually think that's a mistake. I don't think they should be right. I think you should actually acknowledge that it's like no, there are some like there are some bad outcomes that can happen to people as a result of you know their exercise of their free will. There are others that are outside of their control. That is a morally relevant difference. Um, Although, even for the stuff that is under your control, that doesn't mean that the punishment should be like destitution, right? Like, you know, we can, we can have a re- we can have a reasonable society where where uh, even if you fall, you're not going to like fall, you know, you're not going to fall through the sewer grate, right? You know, that's uh, um, that you know, like I, I think you could I think you can hold both thoughts in your head, but yeah, I, I did also just want to go back to what you said earlier about the um, administrators, right? Because it's like I, I think that's obviously true. Right, that like that's a huge source of the problem, and I think that um, you know I think if we uh, nationalized um, funding for uh, for colleges, that um, like that the you know there was no more tuition, there was no you know like um, you just you just had to uh, like it's like look the government's going to give you your fucking allowance and you make it work. Right, I think that that would, uh, I think that that would probably lead to the discovery that we didn't need a lot of these deadlits, and that seems like it would be a good thing. Well, it's because so much of this administration goes into gaming the system, and make, you know, when you have a complicated financial system that needs to be, that needs specialists in, uh, in order to navigate, you know, of course, administrative bloat is an inevitability, and of course, the administrators are the ones holding. Uh, uh, holding the power uh, a lot of the time, and you know, I think, I think you know, ultimately, the you know, in a broader sense, the problem is that is, I mean, it's twofold. You know, you have this two-tier public and private system. I mean, the private yeah. system should be completely, uh, you know, drained of any public money. And yep. most of it can wither on the vine, and its assets can be bought by the state for cheap. Uh, and, you know, those elite institutions, uh, they shouldn't be getting uh, that money. And maybe they should even be uh, nationalized. But, you know, there are a whole other uh, things that need to be done. For example, you know, the inequality in education, because going to one university and another, you know, the problem with it is it's like, if you go to Harvard, you know, it's not that your education is going to be so much more amazing. Uh, it's that you're going to meet people who are going to help you later on in life in order to, you know, execute on some project that you have. Or you're going to be integrated with a particular social clique. Yeah. I think another thing to break this down is, especially at the graduate level, at least at the beginning, you know, all graduate programs should be organized on a national level rather than a university level uh, because they're research uh, based. And we have to like work to flatten the quality of education across the country so that people aren't having to travel in order to get specialized degrees that they can. And this was obviously the philosophy behind having the state universities. But I think, you know, we have to, you know, move, uh, move away from a system whereby you go to a university. And I'll, I'll be completely honest. When I was applying for my PhD, Ben, I got offered at several places. Uh, my offer at Oxford wasn't very good, but I took the offer at Oxford because I simply knew that the branding would be just better sure. for me to get a job at the end of the day. And we need to kind of slowly, slowly break that kind of Absolutely, monopoly yeah. hold of certain elite universities and, and, and ensure that we have a, a, at least a system, at least at the graduate level, for example, that moves away from universities and becomes more to do with particular programs with particular professors wherever they are. No, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I think that, like, I think I think most of the benefit that people get out of going to Harvard or whatever is exactly what you say. Um, that you know that they could say they went to Harvard, that they have uh, that they that they network with other you know uh, ruling class spawn, you know, etc. Uh, but um, but like, look, I think it maybe is true a little bit, right? That you get a better education just because you have better faculty concentrated there, because you you know, like you you can. Use maybe money and certainly prestige, right? To uh, to, to to lure them. Ah, uh, but you see, you see, that's that's the neoliberal system, isn't? The you know uh, neoliberalism promotes the rock star academic, and so you know you end up with an academic uh, who 
may have a good public persona, but you know, yes, you have good academics there, but you know, uh, a lot of the yeah, time, yeah, but you, you also have celebrity academics who might not actually be better than other academics. No, I think that's right. I mean, but I also think that like all of the above could be alleviated by having uh, equalized funding and bringing everything into the same uh, same system, right? I mean, one of the uh, because of an article I wrote for Jackman back in 2020, an idea I've been batting around with with uh, our for graphic designer for Jandrew World a very long time. I really hope we maybe even do this by the time the LA Live show happens. Is that I want to? Uh, uh, is that I uh, I want to have GTA shirts that are like parodies of like Harvard and Yale shirts, but they say like UMass Cambridge and you know UConn New Haven on them. Oh, that, um, that. That that would be good. That that, yep. that would be very, very enjoyable. But yeah, the, these elite these elite universities really have to be. Yeah, you know. I mean, I, th- I think I think you should be like, I think that if you're like a superstar academic, whatever that means, right? Like whether mm-hmm. it's you know, because I I mean I think you're right to like point to the distinction between just being like a famous academic and being really good, right? You know, but like uh, whatever that means. I think that we'd be better off moving towards the kind of system where your incentives weren't towards like, oh, we're all going to congregate in this one place, right? Your incentives were like, well, I'm going to go teach, you know, I'm gonna, I'm not going to teach it uh, at, uh, you know, UMass Cambridge. I'm going to teach it, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, I'm going to teach at UMass Amherst because that's closer to my family or like whatever, right? You exactly. Know, it's like people are making decisions along those lines. All right, uh, so uh, I do want to wrap it up because I want to. Uh, uh, it's been a long day, and I want to go uh, maybe see the water, get a taco, etc. But uh, but I want to say the dream. <laughs> yeah. So I want to say two things before we leave. Uh, one of them is that the uh, for anybody who hasn't seen this yet, the tickets to the uh, LA live show that's GTAA slash This Is Revolution slash uh, Left Reckoning. Uh, those those tickets are uh, available uh, as of uh, as of day before yesterday. Uh, so if you go to my Twitter, you'll see the pinned tweet. You'll see the link in there. That's the Terragram Ballroom in Los Angeles at 7 p.m. on October 23rd. The other thing I want to say is that uh, just before I, you know, shortly before I started recording, um, speaking of this is revolution, Jason Miles brought me a cup of tea, which was very nice of him. Uh, but I'm going to pay him back by embarrassing him and uh, uh, pointed out that I just noticed the image on the cup, which is a bunch of uh, uh, looks like, from what I can tell from their backsides, both Marvel and DC superheroes, I believe, standing in a urinal together with their pants around their ankles. So uh, that's the that's what is that's what Jason's serving to you around here. Well. I'm jealous. I wish I was in Baja, California, but I'm out walking the dog, and then I'm going to get back to writing a syllabus for my my poor students. All right. Well, fair enough. Um, yeah. Watch uh, Watch Gina. This is Revolution, and uh, and I will. Uh, and on a personal note, I will uh, see you in not very many weeks. Yep. See you. See you later on in September. Absolutely. All right. Bye. See, bye, Gina.